you please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. Guys in back, I think I picked the one bad battery, so if you'll just put me on pulpit mic, that'll be, that'll be good. We're here in Isaiah chapter 40 because this is a passage that really I clung to this past year. I think it's really great to preach from things that uh, really make a difference in your own heart. So let's go here to Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 27. This is our New Year's Eve text. Isaiah chapter 40, starting in verse 27, says this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if at the end of this sermon, this your use of this text, if we could all be turned more reflexively, more eagerly to you, For everything we need, for all our strength, O Lord, if we would only try you more and glorify you more, and depending on you, O Lord, this would be a mighty success. So we pray, O Lord, that you would fill this sermon, that you would make it clear, that you would be its power, that you'd give us ears to hear. You'd land on good soil. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So many years ago, when my wife was a little girl, her family used to play a game with their dad. He would try to walk the whole length of their living room, and Hannah and her siblings would try to stop him from getting to the other side of the living room. So they would do everything in their power. They would jump on his back. They would try to wrap up his legs. They would throw pillows at his face. And my father-in-law would just keep trudging across the room, trying to make it across to the other side. My wife says there was rarely a time they played this game. It didn't end in tears in some way. She has three other siblings, but that's what they would play. Just make it across the room. That's the... That's the game. I'm starting with that little illustration because I bet this is how a lot of people feel when they come into a new year. Sure, the number's changing on the calendar, almost arbitrarily, uh, but we've still got hard things to deal with, with that number change. We're all just trying to keep going. We're just trying to be faithful to the end, make it to the other side. And so what we need at the start of 2024 is we need strength. We need strength to keep going for another year. Uh, That's why we're here in Isaiah 40 this morning, because Isaiah 40 tells you exactly where we get this strength. So for our time this morning, we'll see five things in our passage. First, we'll just look at hard things and how we're all tempted to doubt God in hard things. It's the problem. But then the Lord will give us three things to help us. He'll give us a reminder of who we are, a reminder of who he is, and an invitation to come to him for fresh strength. Those will be our five points. We'll start with the hard things first, and we'll go into the encouraging things. So first, our first point is that we're just going to look at our hard things for a moment. 
Because really, for our first point, we're looking just at the context of this passage, which is helpful because usually we're working our way through a book, and in Isaiah, we're not working our way through all of Isaiah. So let's look at the context here. Isaiah 40 is written to comfort people who are in captivity, in the Babylonian captivity, people who'd seen their entire nation destroyed, people who were taken away as prisoners, people who found themselves living as the lowest of the low in an enemy land. That's who this is written to. And so there's really no doubt that the people reading this would have needed strength. When I say strength, I don't just mean muscle strength. I mean all kinds of strength. I've often thought it's such a Christianese kind of thing to say, God, give me strength. And sometimes I was always confused. It just mean to give me energy, give me... He means all kinds of strength. They needed emotional strength, strength to overcome the PTSD of, of having witnessed rapes and murders and slavery. They needed strength of faith, strength of faith because they just watched the entire structure of their religion be dismantled before them. They needed strength of will, strength to keep doing hard labor for an enemy with little hope of anything changing, and they needed strength for all kinds of things. And before we move on, I'll just say one more thing about the context. The amazing thing about this passage is it was written to comfort people in captivity a hundred years before the captivity even happened. That's like me writing to you a condolence letter for the loss of your cat whiskers, then sealing it up for you, putting it in your closet, say, open this later, all before you ever considered getting a cat, all before you even had the name whiskers pop into your brain. Except this is on a national scale over centuries. So anyway, to apply this to you, you might be wondering, well, how does this apply to me? Uh, like, this is written centuries ago to comfort people in Babylon. Well, listen, I, I want to make an argument to you from the greater to the lesser. Because if this is written to comfort people who faced rape and murder and kidnapping on a national scale, this can definitely be a comfort to you in your trauma. If this is written to comfort people whose religion had just been fragmented, who faced a, a life of hard labor, this can definitely comfort you in the drudgery of your work or in any existential crisis, any anxiety you might face. And I'll even add to that, if God knew his people would need this a hundred years before their trouble started, then he's the God who knows that you need this hundreds of years later before your trouble had even started. So, having said all that, uh, we can confidently say this passage was written down in part so that God might use it to give you strength. It was written for you upon whom the ends of the ages have come, as Paul writes. So before we go to that strength, let's just talk about one other hard thing. We had two hard things this morning. First, we're just looking at the hard things in general, looking at the context. Now we'll look at point number two, the fact that hard things sometimes tempt us to doubt God. So for our second point, we're just acknowledging what Isaiah acknowledges. When things are hard, we're tempted to doubt God. That's exactly what the people say in verse 27. That's what God knows they'll say before they even say it. Verse 27, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. The idea here is that if things are this bad for God's people, then God either maybe he can't see it, or maybe he doesn't care. Either way, either their way is hidden to him, like he's not there, he's not paying attention, he's not moved, or in Hebrew, their mishpat, their justice, is being passed over. In Hebrew, they're, they're literally saying something like, you're not doing right by us. 
You're not giving us our just desserts. So these are the doubts that are right there on the surface of this passage. But I think there's actually a bunch that are hinted at, too. This, this verse is very apologetic, not saying sorry, but apologetic. It's telling you who God is. And so there's got to be some doubts laying behind. They're really wondering, is this who God is? Is this God the real God? He says he's Yahweh, but is he still close? Is he still honoring the covenant? He says he's everlasting, but is he still around? Is he still the same God? He says he's the creator, but is he still in control? Is he still able to help us? He says he's understanding, but does he know what's going on? Does he still know what's best? He says he gives power to the faint, but is he still good? Is he still helping? These are the kind of doubts that assault a person when things get hard. Make you feel like, well, he's irrelevant. Why do I need to turn to God? He's not helping me right now. And so they're actually really easy to apply to us because we get the same doubts when things get hard. Because, you know, God doesn't always deliver us from hard things immediately, does he? He doesn't always just take it away. But if he loves us and if he's all-powerful, then why doesn't he? Why doesn't he take these things away? So we wonder, at least deep inside of ourselves, maybe even implicitly we wonder, can he see? Does he care? Is what he's saying true? Has he changed? Is he able? Or to add maybe the most insidious of all, is he even real? These are the hard things that our hearts start to wonder when the going gets tough. And all this to say, when we're going through hard times, we need strength. That's the case I'm building. When you're going through hard times, you don't need God to immediately deliver you. You need strength to get through it. And you especially need strength of faith. So fortunately for us, the next thing the Lord does here is he gives us three things, three words to increase our strength, three things to increase our faith. That's what we'll look at for the rest of this morning. But as we make this transition, I want to sneak one more thing in here. I think it's at this point I want to introduce you to one of my favorite figures from church history, uh, Annie Johnston Flint, if you've heard that name before. Uh, Annie Johnston Flint was a, she was a saint who grew up at the turn of the century in late 1800s, early 1900s. Uh, she actually grew up in Vineland, New Jersey. If McGowan's are watching online, Vineland, that's where Pastor McGowan used to preach. And uh, her unique contribution to the church is that she suffered well. And then she wrote beautiful poetry as a result. And I say she suffered well because not only did her parents die at an extremely young age, then her adopted parents died at a young age. Then she spent her entire life suffering from a debilitating arthritis that made it so bad she was curling in on herself. She couldn't even hold a pen most times to write, and she also struggled from crippling poverty. She had to live in a sanatorium uh, for a long spell. And yet, I think this makes her poetry come from this a really deep place of suffering and, and deep, a deep faith, and it's a gift. It's a gift to the church. So I bring her up to you because I want to sprinkle some verses from her poetry to drive home each of the points that the Lord is making uh, here this morning. And I hope you like it. So I'll back on track again. I'll give a little Annie Johnston Flint detour. Uh, back on track again. What are the three things that God gives us to increase our strength this morning? Three things. First, first thing God does in this passage as he confronts his people is he reminds his people who they are, who they are in him. 
So this point's a little subtle, but look how the Lord starts off. Here's how he addresses his people. He says in verse 27, he says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? I want you to notice God calls his people by two names. They're actually two names for the same person. First, he calls them Jacob. And what do we know about Jacob? We know that his name means supplanter. It means deceiver. We know that God had to save Jacob out of great sin and then wrestle him his entire life to transform him into the person God wanted him to be. So when God calls his people Jacob, he's reminding them of all their past. He's reminding them of how he saved them out of their sin, how he's wrestled them their entire life to bring them to where he wanted them to be. And then second, he calls them Israel. It's the same person. What do we know about Israel? Well, we know this name means something like strives with God and prevails. That's what Genesis 32 says. And we know this is the name that God gave Jacob when he committed to him all of his covenant promises. So when God calls his people Israel, he's reminding them of his covenant commitment to them. Of the time when he said, Genesis 35, he called his name Israel. God said to him, here's the renewal of his promises, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come for you. Kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. So, if this is who God's people are, this is how God's identifying them, if God's people are Jacob, if they're a people God had to rescue out of sin and wrestle their whole lives, if they're Israel, if they're a people that God's committed to bless, renamed, made them his own, said, these are the things that I promised for you, then God's questions make a lot of sense. This is almost like a holy, duh, Israel, have you not heard? Is this not what you've been taught by the rabbis your entire life? Is this not what you've studied, what you've memorized, what you've... Have you not known? Have you not experienced this God and these realities firsthand your entire life? It's a holy duh. How do God's people not understand that God is what they need? And so to apply all this, we could just turn the same questions on you, Resurrection. You're Jacob. Has he not plucked you out of the fire? Is he not wrestling you your entire life to sanctify you? Are you not Israel's offspring, the inheritors of the promise? Has he not committed himself to you? Has he not always been there, faithful to bless you? Have you not heard from your parents, from your Sunday school, from here? Have you not known, have you not experienced firsthand God's power and God's care? God's first strengthening word to you is he says, you need to remember who I have made you to be. You need to remember who you are in Jesus Christ, how precious you are to him in Jesus Christ. You're his child. You're the recipient. You're the target of his promises. He would say, of course, I'm going to give you strength if you ask for it. This is who you are. Speaking of promises, I'll sprinkle in my first poem. I'll just do a part of the poem. From everything we've talked about thus far, hear these words. God hath not promised skies always blue, flower-strewn pathways all our lives through. God hath not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain. But God hath promised strength for the day, 
rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. All this written by a woman suffering worse than I've ever suffered. All these promises you have because of who God has made you to be in Christ. All his promises for you are yes and amen in him. It's our first point. Our first word of strengthening is remember who he has made you to be. Remember who you are in him. Remember all the promises are for you. Then second, remember who he is. So for our first point, yeah, God reminds us who we are, but something that's way more important than that is he reminds us who he is. So verse 28 gives you sort of a laundry list of all of God's names and titles that he thinks are relevant to this moment. It says he's Yahweh. That means he's covenant Lord. It says he's the everlasting God. That means he's eternal. It says he's the creator of the ends of the earth. That means he's sovereign. It says he doesn't faint or grow weary. He's omnipotent. He has aseity. He depends on nothing. He says his understanding is unsearchable. That means he's omniscient. Not only omniscient, he's all wise. It says he gives power to the faint. That means he's kind. He gives what you need. He's good. He gives what's good. This is God's answer. You bring all your doubts. God brings his answer. His answer is, this is who I am. Our circumstances scream a lot of things about God. Satan screams a lot of things about God. But over and against all that, God maintains, I am who I am. I have been who I have been. I am who I am. And I will be who I will be. It'll never change. And so you wonder. You wonder within yourself, okay, well, is God far off from me? Is God unconcerned? He says against that, he says, no, he's Yahweh. He's come close to you. He's covenanted with you. He's full of chesed. He's full of steadfast love for you. You say, okay, well, then is he still around? Uh, has he changed how he's dealt with people? He dealt with people in a certain way, did all his miracles in Elijah's day, but what about my day? He's the everlasting God, he says. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, who always was and is and will be. Okay, then, well, is he still in control? Does he still have the power to help me? Is he still sovereign? Is all this just unraveling before him? Well, he says he's the creator of the ends of the earth. He made everything. He upholds everything. He does all he wishes, the scripture says. Okay, well then, is he just tired of all this? Is he, you've heard people say, I'm done. I'm just done. Is he done with all this? Well, no. He says he doesn't faint. He doesn't grow weary. He doesn't need sustenance to keep going. He doesn't need anything to prop him up. He never gets overextended. Well, then is he still doing what's best? Is his plan still good for me? To that he says, well, yeah, his understanding is unsearchable. He knows. And he knows better than you. His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Okay, well, then is he still good? That's what it boils down to. Is he still good? Is he still willing to help me? Well, of course, he says, he gives power to the faint. And him who has no might, he increases strength. So to all of us who are going through hard things, and I, I know that's all of us, to all of us who are in desperate need of his strength, this is still who he is. This is still what he does. 
It's a strengthening word you just need to hear from time to time. There's fresh strength in him. Fresh strength in him. Or how Annie Johnston Flint puts it. Perfect for this point. Though I don't know exactly how to read the meter. She says, Is God, does God, man's why and how, in ceaseless iteration storm the sky? I am. I will. I do. Sure word of God. Yea and amen, Christ answers each cry. To all our anguished questionings and doubts, eternal affirmation and reply. God is who he's declared himself to be, fixedly, unchangeably, and you can rest on that. Even if your circumstances seem to go against that, you can rest on that. Just because you can't see the sun doesn't mean it's not shining. And that brings us to the third thing that God would give us this morning. He's reminded you, here's who you are in Christ. This is why you can depend on these things. Here's who I am. This is why you can depend on me. And then the last thing he gives us is he gives us a solid invitation to come to him for fresh strength. Because the last thing we need to see this morning is we need to see, okay, well, where do I get this strength? You've seen that you need it. You've seen that he's willing to give it. He's seen that he's the resource from where it comes. But how do you get it? But before he tells us, though, he assures us one more time, in case you missed it, he tells you one more time that you really need it. He's making sure you know you really need this strength. Look at verse 30. Verse 30 says this, Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. So here's what the Lord does here. He holds up the strongest subset of the population, and he says, yes, they need my strength. Youths, strong, energetic young men, they faint and they grow weary. Actually, he kicks it up a notch in the second part, in this Hebrew parallelism. He kicks it up a notch with the word bahurim, comes from the root for chosen. means something like chosen, select, military men. Thinking the, the creme de la creme, the, the rangers, the marines, the whatever, right? Thinking uh, MMA fighters, thinking people in their top thinking the, the athletes that you see on the field there in soccer that can run without stopping you saying, they're the ones who need strength. And then he kicks it up another notch. Twice for emphasis, he uses the word for to fall. He says, these bahurim shall fall, fall. They will certainly fall. They will always fall, is what he's saying. And so, this is telling us something really important. It's telling us, ain't none of us has the strength that we need for everything. All of us struggle. There's no person, no matter how they appear, there's no person who has it together all the time. That's where the invitation comes in. He says, even the strongest among you fall, fall. And the invitation comes in, how do we get this strength? How do you get a strength? Answer to this riddle. How do you get a strength that's above and beyond natural strength? Where do you get the strength to persist, if you're not even a very patient person, to persist in loving a vexing family member like you are? Where do you get the strength to finish well in your final days when your body is full of suffering? Where do you get the strength to keep fighting sin, even though you've been fighting it for decades and you feel like you're not any closer to having beaten it? Where do you get the strength to endure and to have joy in persecution 
Where do you get the strength just to not get overwhelmed when you've got too much on your plate? When you say yes, 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 when you should say no, no, no. Q verse 31. But they who wait for Yahweh will renew their strength. It's spoken in absolute terms. It's a promise. Here's the answer to that riddle. Where do you get strength that's above and beyond your natural strength? Where do you get the resources that are above and beyond anything that you could muster? He says, well, you've got to wait on the Lord. That's the answer. Let's talk about what that means. Now, don't, don't think this is talking about just passive waiting. Like just, you know, you go and sit, stare at the wall, and just kind of tap your watch. Like, okay, God, I, I want this strength now. Give me this strength. That's not what he's talking about. Waiting on the Lord is not a passive thing. Waiting on the Lord is an active waiting. You're waiting to see, uh, who am I going to marry, or what job should I have? It, it's not just sit back and do nothing. It's, it's, it, you're still pursuing. You're still striving. You're still seeking. But this is active waiting. It means to give God time, sure. But this kind of waiting involves seeking his face. God, I need this strength. Please give me this strength. It means getting good counsel. What do you think I should do? What, where do you think I should go? It involves doing what you can. Doing what you can in the way of faithfulness as you wait. Pursuing what you can, striving for what you can. The point is, that, that's how you wait. That's the mystery of how you wait. The point is, if you actively wait on the Lord in this way, God says he will renew your strength. He will do it. It's a promise. He actually gives you a really beautiful picture of what this looks like. That's what the rest of this passage is. It's a picture of what this looks like. He says, verse 31, They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What a picture that what a picture this is of strength. Soaring, running, walking. It's not a picture of, you know, if you're paralyzed, he'll make you immediately walk. It's, it's a metaphor. It's a picture of what, of what God will give you. If you've ever been in this position before, if you've ever had to lean on God's strength before, then you know exactly what he's talking about. It's kind of one of those things that you know it when you've experienced it. You know it when you've been in it. Uh, so when you wait on the Lord, sometimes God restores you so much that you soar. You have a season where you're soaring. You get all energized. You're full of joy. You feel like you can do anything with his help. You're soaring. Or sometimes he restores you in such a way that you can run. You can run. You can run consistently and cheerfully in the way of your duty. You're running well. Sometimes he restores you so you're just able to keep on walking. Slowly, steadily, faithfully. Uh, like I said in the start, you're just trudging across the room. All these annoying things hanging off of you. But you're going to make it to the end. The point is, the Lord always sends the right kind of strength at the right moment, the exact right kind of strength for the exact season that you need it. And when the Lord does send this strength, here's the other point. It's a strength that's above and beyond your, your natural strength. It's a strength that's impossible to explain otherwise. So the Lord is inviting you to seek this strength, brothers and sisters, to take him at his word. He says, they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. It'll happen. So let me start to wrap up now, start to conclude. Uh, this morning our passage has really been saying two things to us. It's been acknowledging 
yeah, there are really hard things in our lives that God doesn't immediately take away. And they tempt us to doubt God. That's true. But in all of that, he's been persuading you. That's my job as a preacher. We've been persuading you to run to God for strength. Because this is the great crossroads that you come to in suffering when things get hard. You can either turn away from God and say, well, I really need something else. I need to distract myself. I need some other resource, some other thing. I need to just gird up my loins. Or you can turn to him. You can turn to him. And so I would say at this juncture, everything we've been saying is true. I've tested it. It's true. The Lord has fresh strength for you. He won't always take away the hard thing as soon as you want him to take it. But if you wait on him, he will give you strength to face it faithfully. And so I would strongly urge you, resolve in your heart right now. When things get hard, I'm going to wait on the Lord for his strength. I'm going to turn to the Lord for his strength. Because this is one of the reasons that he allows hard things in your life, brothers and sisters. Uh, just like you have to strip away old paint before you can put on new paint, your God has to allow hard things in your life to strip away your self-reliance. We're so used to depending on our own strength, we feel like, well, what I have is all I've got. Can't depend on things I don't have. So he has to bring you to the end of your strength so that you'll see his. It's one of the designs of hard things. This is what he's up to with Paul. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that God gave him a thorn in his flesh. Three times he asked him, take it away, take it away, take it away. God said no. God gave him a, a thorn in his flesh, a messenger of Satan to strip him of his pride, to strip him of something. He gave him hard things to show him that he's weak, that even that bahurim shall fall, fall, to show him his need for God's strength, for a strength that's extra to what he has, to show him that Christ's strength is sufficient for him, to show him that when he's weak and he depends on God, that's when he's really strong. That's what he was up to with Paul. More importantly, this is what Jesus showed us in his life. In his humanity, where did Jesus turn in his darkest moments? Well, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was waiting on the Lord. And what did the Father do? You say, oh, it's blasphemous. You're saying he's waiting on the Lord for strength. Well, what did the Lord do? Luke 22 says, there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. So after all this, brothers and sisters, let the hard things in your life, let them have their salutary effect. May the hard things in your life push you more to the Lord this year. And just to leverage this even further, because this is a persuasive, we mean to persuade you. Uh, I'll bring in one more poem by Ms. Flint. I think it actually says everything I've said a lot better. Uh, it's one of my all-time favorite poems. She says this. I've quoted this before. It's been eight years or so, so indulge me. She writes, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that thy need shall exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. Lean hard on the arm everlasting availing. The Father both thee and thy load will upbear. His love has no limit, his grace has no measure, his power has no boundary known unto men, for out of his infinite riches in Jesus, 
he giveth and giveth and giveth again. So brothers and sisters, thinking about what I was going to preach on this morning, I pretty quickly decided I wasn't going to give the New Year's sermon that I instinctively want to give, that I usually like to give. I wasn't going to just try to pep you up and get you make new, new fresh resolutions because that's great if you're soaring. That's great if you're running, if you've already tapped into his strength, but let's be realistic. That's not where a lot of us are right now. A lot of us need something a lot more fundamental, a lot more foundational. For most of us, it's probably enough if we just know where to get strength for another year, where to get strength for another day. And so if all this sermon does, if all it succeeds in doing is it helps remind you of where you can go and get fresh strength, if all it can do is, is just point you to the Lord for all you need, change your habits, I'd count this sermon a success, and you would be a more God-glorifying person as you go to him for everything. And so I'll say it one more time. Here's our main point, sharpened to a point. Wait on the Lord, brothers and sisters. Wait on him. He promises those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, first thing we would say at the end of this, all of this is that we acknowledge we need you. We don't even always realize how much we need you for every breath. But we need you for every trial, every good trial that you bring. So Lord, we pray, uh, would you cement this into our hearts? It's all well and good when we hear a sermon from a pulpit. We say, yes, yes, but what about after we leave? What about when the hard thing hits? Oh Lord, we feel like there's so many other things we need. Father, please give us the faith, the strength to turn to you. And, and may more of your people try you out. And may they be able to stand and say, yeah, this is really something that you can only experience if you're experiencing it. And may they, may they glorify you in the asking. So, Lord, exalt yourself uh, by drawing your people to yourself, by reminding us, by being our fresh supply of strength, our azer, our helper. We need you so much, O oh Lord. We glorify you by saying we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.